turning in your Bibles to Genesis, uh, Genesis, Galatians chapter one, right first uh, letter, Galatians chapter one, and we want to read verse six. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You that um, we have the confidence and we have the hope because we put our faith and trust in You. Very soon we'll see You face to face. We pray that You would help us to prepare for that day. And we pray to that end that You would speak to our hearts from Your Word tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we want to continue with our studies here in the book of Galatians. In our last message, we concluded our look at Paul's greeting. His opening words to these churches. And in verse 6, he gets right to the point of his letter. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. At the outset of these studies, um, we said that the best biblical background for this book is probably found in Acts chapter 14. And so I'd like for you to keep your your place here in Galatians and, and turn back to Acts chapter 14. And... Look at verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, that city would be Derby, and had taught many, They returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. The wording in this verse is very important because it presents an order of uh, ministry for doing the Lord's work. Notice, and when they had preached the gospel, that's the first thing that we do. We preach the gospel. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And the need of every person is to believe that message and to turn to the Lord Jesus from their sin and trust the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. But that's not the end. That's only the beginning. This is what we were talking about 
the other Wednesday night from Galatians 1 and verse 4, who gave Himself for our sins. That's the message of the Gospel. But when we believe that message, we're still going to be living in the world. We're still going to be living among the fornicators and the covetous and the extortioners and the idolaters. Otherwise, we must needs go out of the world. And the Lord doesn't take us out of the world because we're to be His witnesses. Ye are the light of the world. And so Galatians 1.4 has the same order that we see here in Acts 14.21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, Galatians 1.4 says, who gave Himself for our sins. That's the gospel message. And then notice what comes next. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, teaching is what follows when people get saved. It's critical that people be taught after they're saved. And one of the things that people need to hear after they are saved is the last part of Galatians 1.4, that He might deliver us from this present evil world. This is the purpose of teaching. Teaching is what is missing in so many Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. There's plenty of preaching the Gospel, and that's good. But in so many churches, that's all that is preached. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we were looking at the progression of growth in Abraham's life in Genesis chapter 18 as he went from milk to butter to meat, increasingly solid food. And I mentioned something in that message that Brother Dwight brought out in a message some time ago, maybe some years ago. One of the problems today is there are preachers in churches who refuse to feed the flock, who refuse to feed the flock the kind of spiritual diet that will cause them to grow. A lot of pastors avoid the deep things of God. They, they choose to stick to the simple gospel message, and that's what is preached over and over again. And the result is people who do not grow in their understanding and in their knowledge of the Lord. That's not the pattern that we see here with the Apostle Paul in these churches of Galatia. He preached the gospel to these people, and when they believed the message, he taught them. He taught them there in Derby. He instructed them to follow the precepts and to follow the instruction of the Word of God. He wanted them to do what we read in Hebrews chapter 5 and 6. He wanted these believers to leave the milk of the Word. He wanted them to leave the first principles of the oracles of God, the first principles of the Word of God, and go on unto perfection. That word perfection means full development. It means growth. Growth that results in spiritual maturity and godliness. 
It's this progression of milk to butter to meat. It's the progression that Peter wrote about. In 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, how do they abound? Through teaching. They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This progression of growth is the result of teaching. This is what Paul is doing in verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, and had taught many, but Paul did not just do this at Derby. Look at the last part of verse 21. They returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. Paul goes back to these churches in Galatia where he had preached the gospel. He goes back to these places where he had taught many. And notice what he does in these churches of Galatia. Verse 22, confirming, confirming. That word means to establish. It means to strengthen more. He'd already strengthened them by teaching them. But he's going back to these churches to strengthen them more. That word confirming means to make stable. It means to set fast. Paul goes back to these churches of Galatia and he teaches them to the end that they would be established and strengthened more, that they would be stable, that they would be fixed in their walk with the Lord Jesus. Notice the next words of this verse. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Well, why, why did Paul tell them that? Why did he talk about tribulation? Why did he talk about problems? Well, look at verse 1 of this chapter. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude both of the Jews and also of the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycania, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. 
And so they go to Lystra, and look what happens there in verse 19. There came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit as the disciples stood round about, he rose up and came into the city and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. This is what Paul is warning these believers about. He's warning these churches of Galatia. He's exhorting them to continue in the faith. But he's also telling them about the tribulation, about the persecution, against the trouble that is coming when they continue in the faith. These unbelieving Jews are going to come with another gospel. A false gospel that mixes obedience to to the law with the grace of God. And they are so set in what they believe, they're willing to kill those who oppose them. They thought they had killed Paul in verse 19. So Paul is preparing these Galatians for what's coming. And then notice the final things that he did in verse 23. And when they had ordained them elders... And when we read the word they, that's a reference to Paul and Barnabas. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Paul and Barnabas ordained elders in every church. Now think about what that means. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we read about the qualifications of an elder. And one of the qualifications of an elder is that he is not to be a novice. The word novice means newly planted, literally. In other words, an elder is not to be a new convert. He's to be one who has... uh, He's not to be one who has just recently been saved. He's to to, uh, be someone who has spiritual maturity about him. And so they're ordaining these kind of men. How did they get that way? How did these men become spiritually mature? Paul taught them. Paul taught them. He went back and he confirmed the souls of the disciples. He's establishing them in the faith. That's how these elders were not novices. They were men who had spiritual maturity. An elder is to be a faithful man. He's someone who has moved beyond the milk of the Word. A man who by reason of use of the Word of God has had his spiritual senses exercised to discern both good and evil. An elder is to be apt to teach. He's to be a man who holds fast the faithful word as he hath been taught so that he can teach others. That's what Paul was doing as he he taught many, as he confirmed the souls of the disciples. And he did that so that these elders who they ordained 
would be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. These unbelieving Jews who were coming, Paul knew they were going to come with another gospel. A false gospel of of law and grace. So these elders were to be men who held fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. That's what we read in Titus chapter 1 and verse 9 about elders. And in verse 10 of Titus chapter 1, Paul specifically mentioned those of the circumcision. Those who joined Moses in Christ and blended the law and grace, law and the gospel and who taught that circumcision and the observing of the traditions of the Jews were necessary for salvation. These were the gainsayers who were there in Galatia. And so when we read there in verse 23, they ordained elders in every city. I don't think there's any question that these are the kind of men that Paul and Barnabas ordained. The kind of men who had this maturity. The kind of men who were able to teach. The kind of men who uh, would hold fast the faithful word as they had been taught. Then, we see in verse 23, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. They commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. That word commended is a word that we ought to notice. It means to set before. Paul and Barnabas are going to be leaving. They've been there for some time. Um, Long time, verse 3 tells us. The last thing that Paul and Barnabas did for these churches of Galatia is they set the Lord on whom they had believed before them. In other words, they attached these people to the Lord. They did not in any way attempt to attach these people to themselves. That is a very critical point. Because so many Bible-believing and Bible-preaching churches are attached to men. They're attached to um, a, a dynamic personality in the pulpit. They're churches, and, and Gail and I have been in some of them in the earlier days of our marriage. We were in churches that were attached to a man. To, to someone who was almost like a celebrity. We remember one. And we remember the Sunday after the morning message that this pastor announced that he was leaving. And he was going to a church in Florida. It was a bigger church. Um, he was moving up. Uh, in the spiritual world, so to speak. And you talk about weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. We heard it that day. Paul 
Paul did not preach like that. He did not preach in a way that would draw people to him. Keep your place here and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is how Paul preached. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Doesn't sound like a dynamic personality, does it? It sounds like a man full of humility. I was with you in weakness. When Paul says that in verse 3, I don't believe he's talking about spiritual weakness. He's talking certainly about physical weakness. And that's how it was when he was in Galatia. These verses are from the book of Corinthians. He's writing them to the church at Corinth. But he was with these people in Galatia in physical Weakness. I don't want to take up all of your fingers, but if you want to look back at Galatians chapter 4 for just a minute. Um, Galatians chapter 4. And look at verse 13. This is what he says to the church in Galatia. Ye know how, through infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. At the first. At the first is what we're reading about in Acts chapter 14. And Paul preached to the Galatians, and he preached to the Corinthians in physical weakness. Look at what he said in, in Galatians 4 and verse 15. For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. The infirmity of the flesh that Paul mentions in Galatians, Galatians 4 and verse 13 may have involved his eyes in some way. And so that may have been what led these people, Paul, to perceive in them that they would have plucked out their own eyes and given him their eyes. But this um, physical infirmity may have led to the perception that Paul said that people had of him in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 10, where he says, of himself or what they said of him, for his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful. 
but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Paul owns up to that, doesn't he? I didn't come to you with excellency of speech here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 or of wisdom. His bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. When I read those words, I think about what Isaiah said of the Lord Jesus. There is no beauty that we should desire Him. No beauty that we should desire Him. There was no beauty, physical beauty in Paul that those people would desire Him. Paul was not wearing a $75,000 Rolex watch. He wasn't wearing a Stuart Hughes suit. Stuart Hughes suits can cost up to $890,000. He wasn't wearing Dolce and Gabbana sunglasses that can cost $180,000. Paul was not building a cult of personality for people to follow. Now look at 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4. He says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. Power of the Spirit of God. Maybe this is why the perception of the Apostle Paul was that his speech was contemptible. Because it wasn't with enticing words of man's wisdom. That's what so many of those who name the name of Christ, that's what they want in this hour. They're not interested in sound doctrine. We're living in the time. The time has come when they will not endure sound doctrine. What people want today in most churches is entertainment. And that includes from the pulpit. Teachers who will tickle their ears. That's what the enticing words of man's wisdom do. That wasn't Paul's preaching. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And the reason that Paul preached that way is there in verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's how he preached. Whether he was preaching in Galatia, whether he was preaching in Corinth or Ephesus, wherever he was preaching, Philippi. He wanted those people's faith to not... He didn't want it to stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The purpose of Paul's preaching was to attach God's people not to himself, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go back to uh, Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. I believe that this is the meaning and the significance of this last statement in verse 23. They commended them to the Lord. They commended them to the Lord. And then we see the words, on whom they believed. That's who they believed on. 
These people hadn't believed on Paul. They believed on the Lord. Again, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians come to mind. Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed. Even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And then Paul says this, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. And when they had ordained them elders in every city and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. What we learn here in Acts chapter 14 are the labors, the labors of the Apostle Paul for these churches of Galatia. And if you'll turn back to Galatians chapter 4, I should have told you to keep your finger there, but in Galatians chapter 4, we want to see how he describes these labors. These are the labors that he's put into these churches. And notice how he describes them in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Notice that word again. My little children of whom I travail in birth again. When did Paul travail and labor for the first time? When did he experience the pangs of birth of these little children in the churches of Galatia? Well, we just read about it in Acts chapter 14. How he preached the gospel to them. He taught many. He confirmed them. He confirmed them. He established them. He fixed them in the faith. He commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And he compares those labors there of preaching the gospel and teaching and confirming the souls of these believers and exhorting them to continue in the faith, ordaining elders in every church, praying and fasting and commending them to the Lord on whom they believed. He compared those labors to the travail and the pain of childbirth. And he travailed there to the end that Christ would be formed in them. Now we need to make a distinction here, I believe, concerning the word formed and the word born. Christ was born in these believers in Galatia the moment that they trusted the Lord Jesus as their Savior. The same thing is true of you and me if we know the Lord. We learn that. It's one of the lessons of the Christmas story. 
We learn that in Luke chapter 1 at the birth of the Lord Jesus. The angel uh, Gabriel told Mary that she would conceive in her womb the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that would happen is that the Holy Ghost would come upon her and the power of the highest would overshadow her. Folks, those are words that describe salvation. It's how we get saved. The Holy Ghost comes upon us. And He convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And He shows us the remedy. He shows us the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we hear His voice and we believe the message of the gospel, the power of the highest overshadows us, and the Lord Jesus is conceived, He is born in us at that moment. But I'm going to say something we've been saying in these last couple of messages. That is not the end of what the Lord wants to do in our lives. And that's what this word formed That's why we need to make this distinction. That's what this word formed in verse 19 is telling us. Paul labored there in these churches in Galatia so that Christ, who was born in them, the moment they were saved, would be formed in them. The word formed here is word 3445 in the... Greek dictionary of your strong concordance. And it's the same as word 3444. That word means the form by which a person or thing strikes the vision. In other words, it's what people see when they see you. In Romans 8.29, Paul said, Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Listen, because we talked about it this morning, the rest of that verse. Whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. The word conformed there is word 4832. It means having the same form as another. And guess what? It comes from word 3444, the same as the word formed here. The form by which a person or thing strikes the vision. So what Paul is saying, after these people were saved, all those things that we read about, he travailed and labored over these believers in the churches of Galatia as a woman travails in giving birth until Christ was formed in them. Until they had the same form as the Lord Jesus. Until what struck the vision of those who saw these Galatians was Christ Jesus. Because they had been conformed to His image. That is the labor and travail that Paul had given um, to these Churches there in Galatia. That is the condition in which he had left them. And this is why his first words to these people 
In chapter 1 and verse 6, I marvel. I marvel. He's thinking back to all the labor and travail that He put into these people. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from Him that called you unto the grace of Christ. Now, as is the case in any portion of Scripture, we don't want to read these words in Galatians 1.6 and miss the application to ourselves. You see, the emotions of Paul toward these people in Galatia are the emotions of God toward His people today. Think about it. The one who preached the gospel to us is God Himself. He's the one who teaches us. And what does He do? He returns to teach us again and again and again. He's the one who confirms. He's the one who strengthens and He wants to strengthen us more. He's the one who establishes our souls and places us firmly upon Himself. The Lord is the one who exhorts us to continue in the faith. And He's the one who tells us that we're to continue in the faith in the face of the fact that in the world you shall have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. It's the Lord who ordains us that we should go and bring forth fruit. It's the Lord who prays for us. He prayed for Peter. He prayed for Peter and He prays for us that our faith fail not. It's the Lord who prays to the Father. We read it in John chapter 17. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. There's that thought again. But that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. That's His prayer for us. It's the Lord who prays, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It's the Lord who ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's praying for us. Is He fasting for us? You know, I thought about that question. Paul said, praying and fasting. Well, the Lord's praying for us. Is He fasting for us? And I thought about when the Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Remember what He said? I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He's praying and He's fasting for us. And He's commending us to Himself on whom we believed. Everything 
that Paul did for the Galatian believers, the Lord Jesus is doing for His people and for the same reason. The Lord Jesus was born in us the moment we trusted Him as our Savior. Now He wants to be formed in us until we have the same form as He does. Until what strikes the vision of those who see us is Christ. Are we allowing Him to do that in our lives? Or after all the labor and travail of the Spirit of God in our lives, does the Lord say to us tonight, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from Him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto... And we'll leave that blank. What is it tonight? What is it tonight that has removed you from Him? What is it tonight that has removed me from Him? We'll think about that. The Lord will show us. Let's look to Him in prayer. Father, we thank You for Paul's words. We thank You that You have inspired them and You put them here in the book. And when we're reading about these things, help us not to leave them in Galatia. Help them to bring these things right to our own hearts and to our own lives. Help us to allow Your Spirit to confront us with these things. We cannot imagine the travail and the labor. We, we think about the cross. And certainly you labored and travailed there so that we could hear the Gospel and be saved and have you conceived and born in us. But your labors and your travail for your people has not stopped. You're laboring and travailing today to the end that You might be formed in us. pray that You would help us to consider these things tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Three twenty nine will be our closing song tonight. Three twenty nine as we stand together and sing.